Welcome to the Horizon Search Podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on a captivating exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Today's guest is Joe Olson, M&A consultant and Tiger 21 chair in San Francisco. Joe will talk about how he went from healthcare to mergers and acquisitions and beyond. Building upon the previous episode, he will also shed more light on the different types of peer groups and why you should consider joining one. We will also get a peek into Tiger 21, which is for ultra high net worth individuals. Over to you, Joe. Excellent. Thanks, David. And it's an honor to be here. A little bit of background about me. So I started out as a healthcare operator, 20 years working in healthcare. So I worked specifically in procedural areas and sort of worked my way from literally the bedside. I was an operating room nurse up into sort of upper administration. I retired out of uh, Stanford Healthcare. And the two sort of big projects that were capstones for me there was we built a children's hospital and I helped with that effort, or the new hospital that's there. I, I urge you to look it, look it up because it's beautiful and very well designed. And then similarly, then I moved to the adult side and I continued to work with the procedural teams there and lead and support them. And also to help with a big part of the new adult hospital that, that they built there. So I retired out of healthcare for a few reasons. One is uh, my wife and I had, had built an e-commerce company together that was meant to be sort of very side hustle and our timing was right. This was about 10 years ago. And so that led me to consider moving out of healthcare, just seeing that grow and wanting to support my wife who was leading that by herself before I joined as the COO. And then uh, right around the same time and what ultimately led me to move out of healthcare was we had our first son and he's six now. So putting the business growth and my wife uh, having a child together, it was clear that it was time to, to focus on being a great partner, both as a husband and father, and also to help lead our e-commerce business. So I worked in that for several years in a focused way, was COO classically, just whatever it takes to build this thing together. Then subsequently, I've had several sort of mini careers. So building off of the success of e-com, we needed to deploy capital. So there's a real estate component to what we do. So we bought residential real estate here in the Bay Area and built a portfolio there. And then we have a, a little bit of commercial real estate as well, which right now is not our favorite part of the portfolio. At the time, seemed like a, a really great idea. And I think we're going to sort of ride this out. And in the end, it will make sure it's a, a positive thing for our portfolio. A little bit difficult in San Francisco right now on the commercial side. And then other things that I did in the interim was I was a venture capitalist. So I worked with a firm, Mighty Capital. And in the end, I, I realized classically, like, like many people do when they do experiments, but I'm an operator, a, you know, just a true operator. So something that happens oftentimes in venture is I did a deep dive. I invested in, in a software company that serves healthcare. So I had some subject matter expertise, became the COO of that company, and we scaled it together. I think it's now more than 150 people just raised a very successful B round. So, so what you might consider that as sort of like de-risking an investment. But in my case, it was really, it was that, but it was also and mostly on mission for me because I got to operate and help scale up something that I knew was making an impact while also, you know, learning a lot about scaling up a venture-backed software startup. So if you, if you just sort of think about these different perspectives that I've developed, it really comes from diving in, operating, working with a team to achieve success together. So the what I've really developed is a servant leadership mindset, like what's needed now? What does the team need from me? What can I contribute that's valuable as a leader, sometimes in the business, sometimes on the business? And then I have a few different things that I do now that we'll talk more about where I now contribute back some of that learning 
and some of the coaching and support for other people to be able to develop their version of a similar path, finding the best fit for them. And then, you know, how do you, what do you do when it's time to delegate? What do you do when it's time for you to make a change? So I have, I have several different sort of expressions of that, but that's the theme of sort of where I'm at in my work now is serving other people who are proven leaders and then helping them accelerate their path in a really healthy way to grow as a leader and to make transitions and to really oftentimes learn about delegation and handing off things from what they're trying to build so they can bring a team together to do the work. Great. Thank you for that introduction. A lot of that is new to me. That's quite a journey. Could you give me the name of that uh, children's hospital? So Stanford Children's Hospital is oh, Stanford. Okay. where I was. Yeah, so Stanford Children's and then Stanford Adult. Before that, just to name off some sort of logos of places I've worked, I started my career at UCLA. UC Davis was another place that I worked. I did traveling nursing. So I've been all around the United States on the far east all the way to Bar Harbor, which is in, in Maine, sort of uh, it, very close to there is the far easternmost part of the United States, the, the, the point that you can stand on beautiful part of the world. And I was actually there for five years. I've been up in rural Idaho, Minneapolis, Texas. So I've really worked all over the United States when I was doing that traveling administrator work. So I have the benefit of a, a perspective on sort of how people are and communities are all around the United States. So that's a pretty cool thing too. Yeah, definitely. So what's like looking at America from many different angles? What's one thing that stands out to you as our similarities? I love that you asked about similarities because there, there's differences and there's similarities. The similarities are, I think, a, a certain kind of bravery, right? The people who built this country left wherever they were. And this continues to be true. Like I'm a huge, one of my sort of like tentpole beliefs that, that drives me is the American dream and creating the American dream for other people. And I think that what I see in America is just like brave people, right? People who have struck out and, you know, from other countries, sometimes it's relatively recently here in San Francisco, you know, it's a, it's a city that is welcoming. So we have so many different cultures that, you know, people have literally, there's a derogatory saying, but I say this in a positive way, which is like fresh off the boat. These are people who just like made a choice, came to America, started over again, oftentimes left something you know, horrible behind. Maybe, maybe they don't have family anymore because whatever happened in their home country, but they were able to, you know, somehow be chosen and push forward and they made their way to the United States. So I would say I continue to see bravery as a hallmark of any, you know, sort of American, especially Americans that are achieving great things, right? Sort of proven value creators. I also see how to say like, a sense of community. I think a lot of people like to talk about how fractured we are right now, but the amount of trust one American has with another American is different than people have in other countries as much as we're fractured now. So, so I'd say that's probably not maybe as strong as it has been historically, but the way that we can move fast in business here, do deals, like if you want to and you have the resources, you can buy a business or a building in a month here. If you move outside of America and try to do things like that, you will find that it is not that way anywhere else. So part of our bravery and the freedom comes with also all this responsibility that we carry because we can sort of make moves and do things if we choose to. And I love that about America. And I think those are some themes that I see that are pretty unique to American culture. Great. That's nice to hear. I'd like to talk about your mentorship and your involvement with peer groups that's coming together. And I was wondering, where would you like to start regarding peer groups? 
maybe we can start with where I'm at now and the work that I'm doing now. And then we can maybe talk about like all the options that people have in peer groups. So as a baseline, like what is a peer group, right? It's the place where people can get together, develop trusting relationships, share, and have a dependable place to bring things that they're working on and sort of elevate from the day-to-day into working on things, right? There's a real trap that most people are are sort of stuck in, which is just working in the business, right? So if you're an hourly W-2 person, almost always your job is just to have some productivity on like a very clear sort of one level of work and you get it done and you're, you're just sort of in a way part of a factory, right? One of the things that helps people create more value is elevating from that way of thinking, right? Just not every day doing the same process over and over. But even if you're in that kind of a job, how do you elevate it? How do you think about the work that you're doing, add more value? There's a, a really cool concept that, you know, you're basically an object in a system that's job is to create value. And if you create more value for the system itself, then more rewards will also come to you. But it's a small ratio, right? Some people get stuck and say, well, I produce 100,000 of value, I should get 100,000. The fact is that the construct needs 90% of that to survive, but you might get 10%, right? So if you create 100,000 in value, you probably can bring 10 to yourself. That's sometimes really hard for people. But back to the main point is being in a peer group gives you time to work on the work and sort of look at it from a different lens. And then also the benefit of other people who are doing something similar during that time, oftentimes led by someone who's sort of a professional and helping the group address issues and move forward. So that's just a a bit of a primer on basics of peer groups. Some of the peer groups are just like events, just going and hanging out in different parts of the world or travel based, right? So I'm, I'm more talking about the ones that are a little bit focused on sort of productivity, whether it's personal or business, but the range of peer groups is limitless. So let's stay sort of focused on the ones that sort of benefit business leaders, right? So within that, there's sort of a timeline, like almost like a stack that sort of exists. So a lot of people will find as operators, one of the operator groups, right? The one, I think it's 65 years in the making now and very well known is called Vistage. And what's, you guys have a Canadian version of Vistage. Can you remind me the name of you you guys? Well, apparently it's the original name. It's the executive committee tech. And for some reason they changed. Right. So in the US, they've changed it to Vistage, but it always, the 65 year old version is actually what you guys still have is the executive committee. So, and I think maybe by markets, you may see that sort of what is Vistage, which we'll talk about in a minute is expressed in different ways. So what is Vistage? It's a place for business operators, in particular, the leading executive, which in the US is the CEO always, mostly around the world. So it's a group for CEOs who have two things really important. One is control of the company, at least theoretically, so that they can take the things that they learn in the peer group and bring it back. Otherwise, it's it's sort of difficult. And, and Vistage actually has now many levels. So if you're a VP, there's a group for VPs, but they approach the problem solving a little bit differently because it's not sort of ultimately setting the direction for the business, right? So Vistage sort of classic is meant to be for the top executive in the company. Then they have some other versions or flavors for, I think, all the way down to just like people manager. So if you're a people manager, there is a sort of a place for you in Vistage, but core classic is is for the top executive. Then the other piece is, you have to have enough control of your schedule to have a week off every month to be able to go to the group, right? 
And so time control, calendar control is not something many jobs have. Probably most jobs don't have that. So those are two of the things that really are core. And then it goes out from there. But Vistage looks for members. I think most of the peer groups also look for people who want to give back, right? To support other people. Because if you're just in one of these peer groups and you're a sort of a taker, it's not going to work. So that's a group that is for operators. There's a group that once you've been a great operator, you've been what we call a value creator, and you've proven yourself in that sort of mode of leading and bringing a company to its sort of like top form and oftentimes exiting the company, which some people, they just think about the ongoing revenue and cash flow, but oftentimes the real value in a business is in the exit, right? Like the big win. So people who have achieved that oftentimes change from operator to now really a wealth manager. Like your job is now to conserve resources and grow what is now usually mostly kind of a, not a cash flow problem, but now it's a, like a wealth has been concentrated. So you'll see yourself with like a large bank account now. That's a very different sort of exercise than it is. And in fact, it's almost the opposite exercise. If you think about great operators, it's a lot about connection to the customer, connection to the work, and then always adjusting the sales so that you're in the win, right? When you think about investing, if you behave that way, you know, you may not be wealthy for very long, right? And so there is a, there's a peer group that sets you up for success in that mode. You can sort of think about it as like the graduate school for people who have been excelled as operators. And that group is called Tiger 21. So I'm currently a San Francisco chair of Tiger 21. So I want to keep it brief and probably talk about it in a very high level way. But the best way I think to think about it is bringing together a board of advisors whose ultimate goal is your success now that you've achieved wealth, right? And I think oftentimes, especially in American culture, we think, well, I'm wealthy. I achieve success. That's almost always not true. It's usually true that you've achieved, you've like checked one box, but real success is your family's taken care of. You understand how to navigate your whole family and all the rings outside of that with relationships that you have related to wealth. That's not easy. And that's not a default that it works for you, right? And in particular, the conversation around wealth is often at the minimum difficult, but truthfully impossible for people to have with their closest friends and confidants because probably very few of them have had, you know, sort of made similar achievements. So this is a place for that, where you bring together a group that's been vetted. So part of my role as a chair is to bring together complementary but diverse people who have made these achievements and are also interested in giving back to each other. And in a way, are students of this next phase. Like oftentimes what brought people to that success is their curiosity, their willingness to do experiments, their willingness to bring together more classically a board, like into their businesses. This is a version of that same model, but it's for you as someone who's already done this, right? And so we see people coming in with what we call next gen. They want to understand how do I set my kids up for success or even next gen in the other direction? How do I make sure things are good for my parents, but I don't, you know, sort of make mistakes? You can easily, you know, sort of burn through wealth, making sure your parents age gracefully, right? So next gen sort of goes, goes in both directions. Some people just want to be around other people that are developing the acumen of managing and growing wealth well. So they, you know, they just come in sort of on that thought. There's people who come in 
they've had a bad experience, right? They invested poorly and realized if they would have talked to more people who are sort of in the same milieu, they may not have made that They're looking for classically other people who are experiencing similar things. You see people with this idea of like leveling up, like you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, but they've gotten to a place where they sort of are consistently the smartest person in the room. So that's another, there's, there's so many reasons why these groups are helpful for people, but those are some of the ones that I hear most commonly. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like the unknown unknowns, like you don't know what you don't know. So by exposing yourself to a diverse peer group that can increase the probability that you're exposed to things that will help you in the present and or the future. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's totally right. And being, yeah, like you know, black swans is something that comes up a lot in these groups and you're looking for other people. One of the things that Tiger 21 does is also query all the members, right? And then bring intelligence back to each one of us. So we get reports where all of the Tiger people have been. And one of the things we've seen recently, and it's logical, is you know, like a sort of a flight to cash flow, right? So when you see these types of downturns, they can create tremendous opportunities in real estate or private equity type deals. And so just like you would expect, you you know, when we query Tiger members, we see that the portfolios are now starting to, you know, skew to one thing is holding cash because there's a lot of unknowns right now. And then the other is when people are deploying, they're looking for cash flow opportunities to continue to grow wealth. Makes sense. I had a question regarding your own blind spots as the chair who's curating the group. How do you ensure that uh, you're exposing yourself to new thoughts? Great question. So I'm in a few peer groups myself. The chairs of Tiger 21 are a peer group. So we are always, you know, querying each other. You know, I'm there on Tiger and I can see the member side and I can see the chair side. The chair side is just like every day. There's all sorts of questions. And because we're distilling down the members questions and bringing it to the chairs, Somewhat by definition, the chairs are incredibly well connected, right? We have our own groups. We became chairs partially because of our own goals of giving back and helping other people and sort of this servant leadership approach is you see that in chairs, not exclusively, but it's a, it's definitely a theme. And so sometimes we'll see the chairs working on resolving something you know, for their market, even like more globally. But oftentimes what you'll see is chairs coming to each other to help solve things that members are bringing forward. And if you see one member having something going on and you sort of alert the other chairs to it, it also is like a place I might've had a blind spot. But when I see another chair asking about this members having this going on, I'm like, oh, maybe my members have it going on, right? So one is peer groups. I'm in I mean, at least three peer groups right now. And I find them incredibly valuable. And when, and I was in Vistage, like we talked about before for, for many years as well. So it's just, for me, it's like a way of navigating the world is to have, these boards of advisors. And for me, it's on several different fronts. So that's one answer. Then the other answer is classic coaching. So accessing experts by way of either network, just like, hey, let's have a chat, but also absolutely willingness to sort of align incentives. If some, you know, if I want to chat with someone and they're not, there's not a reason for them to chat with me, I'm totally into the idea of making sure that's valuable for them. Sometimes in some companies that's more long-term, it's like equity and that's more an advisor role. I serve in those roles, but I also bring those into work that I'm doing. And then sometimes it's as simple as like, you know, hey, there's a really nice restaurant in your market. I'd love to chat with you for half an hour. How would you like to, you know, sort of take your significant out there and sort of access something really nice that's maybe part of my connections or something they just wouldn't have done for themselves. So oftentimes I, I take that approach as well when, when appropriate. 
That's good to hear. Makes a lot of sense, actually. I imagine there is some confidentiality at play here, but is there anything that you could share that would help someone outside the group understand a little bit more concretely some of the benefits that come from this kind of peer group? Like someone was facing problem X because of the peer group, they were able to do Y, something like that. Yeah. You mentioned blind spots earlier. And I think we talked a little bit about black swan events, which are also like unknown unknowns that manifest, right? I would bring in, those are, those are huge because when you're facing the unknown, you need, you know, people with you to help, you know, you move forward and feel confident in your, in your decisions. The other thing I would bring into play here is deals that you might do. This is sort of like, a, I, I picked this because like very hidden within these peer groups. So as an operator, it might be like, I'm going to make this move in my business, right? So you go more like on the Vistage level. You're like ready to make a move as a leader, but you can't see the the downsides of it. And you've, you've thought through it yourself, but you are logical and, and sort of thoughtful enough to now bring it to the group to help you like untangle it and you know move through the logjam with the help of others. I think that's, I'll give a specific example about this. So we're classically, you know, real estate driven, at least we were during, during a certain part of our growth mode. And you know, you might think if you've done a lot of work in real estate in a market, you can get a certain, a certain type of hubris going, right? In this case, this was a, a friend who is a real operator in, in real estate here, had a deal that they were they were doing. It was like in motion and they brought it to the group and it was it had to do with one of the big high rises here in the Bay Area. And they said, Hey, I'm in. Like, I'm, I'm going to buy many units because it's early. I have access to it. Other people can't even see these units being for sale, but I, I know the developer. So I'm going to, I'm going to lock in like a few floors of this building. Right. So we're talking, you know, probably deal size in the, in the hundred million range, something like that. Right. This, this, and then this person's case, we might be talking about some double digit percent of net worth. Right. So really impactful if they would have done the deal and it wouldn't have gone right. It would have affected long-term could have affected their family, right? And if you think about sort of returns, you know, it could have been a billion dollar decision, right? And so what they brought it to the group and what they were, the way they were bringing it to the group is, would you like to be part of it? I'm in and I have access to something you all can't access. Another member of the group happened to be part of a class action lawsuit that was going on adjacent to that building which when they got into the conversation, realized that it was going to affect tangibly the long-term value of that building. It had to do with the fact that Bay Area Rapid Transit, without getting too specific, was like adjacent to the building. And there's a tunnel that was below the building. And another person who was in the peer group was privy to the class action lawsuit and that that was coming into play. And so I think that if I picked sort of the number one thing that comes into play in the peer groups is actions you are going to take. And to your point earlier about blind spots could have damaged you, damaged your company, damaged the trust in your team. And the group was able to help you see the risk, right? That I think with a lot of people, when they're coming to a peer group, this is invisible to them. But if you think about what keeps people in peer groups, when that happens to you one or two times, you start to realize like, I probably shouldn't be navigating the world without this type of resource available to me because you know you would have done this damaging move. And the only way it was avoided is by having peers that cared about you, that you trusted their advice, right? And oftentimes it's not advice. I should re restate that, that you trusted 
what they shared with you about their own experience. Because a lot of these groups, and rightfully so, both Vistage and Tiger 21, avoid advice. Because advice, by definition, is based on your personal experience and your understanding of, of what's going on. Then when you sort of put that on someone else, they can easily be misguided by it because it sounds so logical, right? And it sort of fits what I'm doing. But almost certainly the person giving the advice has very incomplete information. So that's an interesting similarity across most peer groups is that sharing your own experience or what you see as potential risk is accepted, but giving classically advice, you should do this, is frowned upon because it's actually quite dangerous. I couldn't have put it better myself. There's a line that I, I kind of put together that by giving advice, you're pulling from a time you're not in and applying it to a path you're not on. Love that. That's kind of where the groups are coming from. It sounds like a supercharged, like networking kind of hallway of mirrors sort of thing where there's these synergies that come from kind of sharing what you know and then seeing how that could be applied in a new context. The best members of these peer groups are constantly sort of pinging the hive mind. It's interesting because you might think, man, this person is so active and they're always asking random stuff and half of their questions, no one answers, right? But they're literally, they're core to the success of these groups because just the question like contains a lot of information, right? Someone's thinking about this, someone's bringing this forward, right? So I think when I look at the members who are most successful, they visit other groups, they they like make their network bigger and they bring more stuff. Because if you're just in the habit of sort of pinging, 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 you might have a 50% return rate. But if you've asked a hundred questions, you've gotten support on a hundred, you know, 50 things where the person who only asked 20 questions Maybe they got, you know, support on seven of those things or five of those things. So their order of magnitude, less value from the network than what you're getting if you're an active member. Yeah. So talking about these peer groups, for someone that's that's eyeing them, we're curious, like we're shopping at a store or something like that. Like, what's the high level ones? Or is there like a prestige factor to some of them? Are I mean, you, you probably don't want to say like this one's better than that one. But like, when you look at, for example, EO versus YPO, Vistage versus McKay CEO forums, like how would someone, to the extent that you are able to, because you have already gone through them, but how would someone kind of gauge, is this right for me? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that probably the most common mistake is like, oh, I had a friend, they're in the thing, they got the value, I should join that one. The the experience that I see probably the most sophisticated people doing is it's an investment. They almost all have a cost and some of them in the tens of thousands of dollars and, and probably worth 10x that, but there is a cost or an investment, I should say, of both time and money, right? And so I think the best sort of version What's worked for me, let's say, let's not give advice, but I'll tell you what worked for me and for for my wife and I in this sort of, we went and experienced each one and almost all of them will give you some level of access as you're you're sort of searching. What you see many people do is ping into the one they think makes sense for them. And if it's a fit, they just go, right? I think that the people that I think are most satisfied with their choice are the ones who put the time in to treat it almost like, like an RFP, right? It's like, I think a peer group would be valuable for me. I have these parameters. Let me go out and search the world for the peer groups that exist or the ones that I can access in my market or with what I've achieved in the world. And then pick the one that really resonates with you. An example, someone who I really thought that one of the other groups was for them, got far enough in it and then realized like before I sort of pay and decide, 
I should at least see one alternative. And they came and they came to Tiger and they understood what Tiger was all about and realized that Tiger was like a 10x fit from the other group. And in fact, the other group wasn't really a fit. It was really Tiger because what? Because what they really cared about is that personal board of directors and being really focused in this way about decision-making moving forward. And the other group was much more of like a social group and, and it would have solved for that, but they weren't looking for that. They, they thought, oh, I'll get some of what I need from the other group, although it's a social group. What they found out when they looked at the alternative is that it was like a 99% or 100% fit. So I really think looking at the alternatives and sort of being a student of your options is what worked for us. So I won't give advice, but I, I can say that was really helpful for me to, to sort of study it that way. Well, that was very helpful, not advice to hear them. It was it was nice to get that, that perspective. So what I'm hearing is just kind of shop around a little bit, talk to people that are in each of the group and really kind of look at your situation and what might serve you the best, but also at that time, because it sounds like it could change. So for example, in your case, you went into Vistage, now you're at Tiger 21. How would someone just kind of check in, let's say you're happy with Vistage for five years, what should they look out for to see that maybe they should rethink kind of different groups? I would be happy to talk to anyone who's trying to navigate this. I, I have been and continue to be a student of peer groups. I'm in many, like I mentioned before. So if people just want like a, hey, I have these needs. I'm trying to figure out what's a fit for me. I'm happy to, you know, any inbound to me, I'm happy to, to address it. And I think by definition, the people that are Sort of thinking about this and seeking this is, you know, more people I want to know. So happy to chat with you broadly and or specifically about this. I would also say be very thoughtful about the other members of the group and the chair. So one, you can do your own research and you can, you know, sort of go through their portal online and you can get a certain way through. If they won't let you maybe talk to a couple of different chairs or whatever their version of a guide is in their system, I would take that as a bit of a red flag. And then meeting other, you know, I would demand to meet some other members. Now, now, like in Tiger, in order to do that, you have to go through our, what we call member qualification. So you need to do some work and you need to be qualified because we won't, you know, sync you up with other members unless two main parameters are met. One is we know your Tiger material and we feel like there's a lot of potential to invite you into this exclusive group. And also you've been through our vetting, which includes background checks. It's, you know, it's pretty substantial. So, you know, you will need to put some work in to get to that sort of level of engagement. But I think if you're going to make this type of investment in time and money, it's worth it to get to the place where you meet the chair or your choices in chairs and make sure there's a, a real sync there. And then a couple of members that you'll be spending your time with as well, because in the end, that's your personal board of advisors. It's almost like forming a partnership, it sounds like with the search space, like get to know your partner because you're in it for the long haul. Yeah, there are Tiger members who have been together, not with the whole group, but with other Tiger members for like 17 years. And wow. in the Bay Area, where Tiger is younger, there are people who have been together for more than 10 years, which in the Bay Area, there's like, you know, most of our buildings aren't that old. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a really special group of, of like, it really is like oftentimes become lifelong relationships. That's great to hear. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your time today talking about peer groups and sharing a little bit about your impressive background. Is there anything that you wanted to just draw attention to that we didn't get to? I think that peer groups are a version of a thing, which is taking on some responsibility to yourself to be open, to share yourself, to share what you've learned, oftentimes the hard way with other people. 
And I think if you can navigate the world in a way where you can find people that you trust, whatever the form is of that, one thing we didn't talk about, but I have a friend who has a community group that he's brought together of like other dads, right? And they just work through sort of life together. Try to find a tribe for yourself like that, because I think one of the pandemics that's post pandemic is loneliness. And so not only can you solve for, you know, sort of leveling up, but you can also contribute to other people by, you know, being part of their community and helping them with what they're working to build. So I would just say in any case, you know, find your people and make an effort. And I think post-pandemic, we've lost a lot of this and we've let ourselves lose a lot of this. It's sort of accepted that it's maybe okay not to be around other people. And I think just in a general way, from a global healthcare perspective, we probably don't completely understand it, but it is harming people now. And, and so just let yourself be more open and be available and be in the same like real space with other people. I think it's important beyond just you know, sort of financial and business growth, the personal component to it. I was trying to think of another word besides advice. I was going to say that's great advice, but anyway, thank you for sharing that. It's certainly something to keep in the front of our minds. Awesome. How could people contact you if, if they have curious about Tiger 21 or anything that you talked about? Excellent. Thanks for asking. The easiest way is just they can email me or find my website. So my website's peoplefirst.team. So P-E-O-P-L-E okay. T-E-A-M. So no, no dot com there, just people and then team okay. the dot in the middle. There's an email, a little, little thing there, but my email is Joe at peoplefirst.team. So that gets to me personally, right? Any other, I have many other emails, but most of them are sort of managed in some way or another. But Joe at peoplefirst.team gets directly to me. And I'm any person, David, who's interested enough to spend time with you, your podcast, I'm interested in chatting more with about. So so thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Talk to you again, Joe. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Rise and Search podcast. Our next guests are Rafael Caldas and Zach Kremholtz of Long Horizon Partners, recent Columbia MBA graduates who launched a traditional search fund and plan to leverage their impressive experience at Bain & Company and Goldman Sachs as co-CEOs of a small to medium-sized business in North America. Tune in to hear their strategy as they start their search. Until then, eyes on the horizon.